and been here. Here we go. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning, Rodney. Welcome back. For having me again. Oh, no. Thanks for coming on again. This is the sexy nine o'clock in the morning version that you get around. The polished executive guy in the day. We wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. Plus, plus, at nine in the morning, I have to adjust to Cody's voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we all do. If I were to have prepared too much, that energy that I would have used to prepare. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, how you been, Rodney? Good to see you. Yeah, welcome back. Good to see you guys too, man. Thank you for having me again. It looks like it seems like you have a lot going on these days. A little bit, a little bit. I, I will stave off unemployment for a little while. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what's it called? Uh, you should use Cody's voice as like your alarms for when you need to wake up. <laughs> Ooh, great Go idea. to meetings on time. <laughs> I think the last time we talked, I uh, suggested having it as a ringtone. At <laughs> the very least. Uh, even as, in, a, in a vibrating way, um, <laughs> you can still hear it. You know, just the rumble under. <laughs> I think it would still work. Yeah. He, he does have a good amount of bass and treble in his voice. So. <laughs> yeah, he does. Very much so. Very much so. Editing the episode, sometimes I've almost actually gone deaf just because Cody's voice gets so loud. Hit Cody with a good one, it could destroy the entire studio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we've, we've definitely blown out a few speakers. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, thank you for coming on again, Rodney. Uh, it's good You're to welcome. see you. Um, we're very excited to to talk about the sneak peek of your book, um, Blackula: Return of the King. Yeah, yeah, very excited. Yes. Very excited. Thank you. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For everyone listening, welcome to Comics and Chronic. I am one of your hosts, Jake F. H. With me today is Anthony Inacho, Cody Cannon, and our second time returning guest. He is a writer and executive producer for HBO's Winning Time. He currently writes for Images Philadelphia. He's the creator and writer of it, as well as Nightmare Blog. Nita Haw's Nightmare Blog. Please welcome back to the show, Rodney Barnes. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Thank you. Does it work the same over Zoom? Does it feel as intimate? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Yeah, it's fine. It's good. What do you mean, as opposed to what? Like being in a room together. Although I can't imagine being in a room with Cody. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Strike that. Zoom is perfect. (laughs) Zoom is perfect. I can't imagine nine o'clock in a room with Cody after a long night of working. (laughs) Cody could be giving away the secrets to quantum physics, and I would be like, it's all right. It's okay. okay." (laughs) Wait, give me a couple hours. Let me get breakfast first. It's like when Black Bolt speaks. It's it's not <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> yeah. perfect, perfect, perfect. Perfect. Or Cody would say Banshee. Cody loves I Banshee. I do love yes. Banshee. Any of those apply. <laughs> Any of those apply. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, once again, thank you for coming back on. Yes. Uh, yeah, we were we were given a sneak peek of your new book, Blackula: Return of the King. 
And also, in preparing for this, we all watched Blackula because we watched. I've never yeah. seen it before. Did you watch it like completely sober? Like, how did you watch Black? <laughs> what? I was high as fuck when I watched it. <laughs> Cody, how did you watch Black? <laughs> I was I was sober because I mean the first time I watched it because I've seen it before. I was really high, but okay. I'm with uh, my family right now, uh, so uh, <laughs> were they sober? No, I had an edible. I hit the bong a few times. I was ready. (laughs) Uh, It's good to to juxtapose different ways of seeing it. Yeah. I always loved the movie. I mean, um, I was a kid when I saw it. I think my mother took me to it. I had this weird thing where when I was like six or seven years old, my parents split up when I was about two, I believe. And somewhere along the lines, my mother said, I need to get this kid a father. And she <laughs> she started dating guys. She would take me on the date kind of to see whether or not we all would fit. So I got to pick the dates. So, which I'm sure the guys really liked. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> they didn't have trailers at the time on TV, but they would have like these quick little spots. They wouldn't come out like as long as today. You get like damn near the whole movie. But right. I saw like late night one night, because again, I didn't have a father, not a lot of supervision, that there was this movie, Black Hitler, coming. And I love horror movies. And I wanted to see that. So when the opportunity came, hey, what do you want to see? Because I'm going on this date with this new guy. I said, that movie. Mm. (laughs) And it was only playing in uh, Baltimore. And it was the first time I'd seen like the Universal movies with the uh, Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein, those movies from the 40s and 30s and whatever that always played on the late night creature features and I'd seen the Hammer films with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing mm-hmm. and very rarely did they have black people in them unless they went like he went that away you know it was like very rarely <laughs> part of the story and so I wanted to see like you know something about black obviously that intrigued me so we go to baltimore and it was a theater full of black people like like other than church this was the biggest room gathering of black people i'd ever been to <laughs> in my life and it was that experience that like tarantino talks about and others talk about where people talk to the screen it was interactive i don't know it was purposely designed to be that way but it was the most fun experience i'd had in a movie that was a horror movie and for its time, it was pretty well made and thought through um, for a black exploitation movie. It had its issues. Um, and even then, I think, because I had been, as a kid, sort of cultured to uh, what these things should be, in quotes. But there was something that sort of uh, endeared itself to me. And so over the years, I watched it again and again and again and again and again. And as I got closer to this idea, one day, maybe I'll be a writer and be able to talk to folks like yourselves. I, and if I ever got the opportunity to not rewrite or redo or play in this space a little bit, this is what I would do. So when the opportunity presented itself, uh, I took it and um, said, hey, this is what I would do. And what you see and what you had before you is that. So so how did it present itself exactly? Did you go to image and say you want no. to do a black Hill comic or no well this is an image this is my company this is zombie love oh, studios shit. this I'm is sorry. something i created that's okay i did this uh and what happened was 
I decided I wanted to, for some reason, uh, maybe I was high at the time. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to start a comic book imprint. And um, because when you go to other publishers and you pitch things, I pitch things all the time, TV shows and movies. I'm constantly pitching. I'm constantly like, it's almost like talking to you guys. It's like I'm sitting in front of people and I'm pitching, I'm talking, I'm selling constantly, constantly. I wanted the experience of being able to think of something and just do it and without having to sell mm. and sort of have that creative experience that you have that's kind of idealistic and romantic. And I had no idea how to do it. I had no idea. It was a romantic notion that I did not know how. Sometimes I think we all find out how expensive romance can be, but it was romantic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And so I said, uh, you know, I want to do this thing. And I was working with, I wrote a movie for New Regency uh, with Michael B. Jordan's company that still may see the light of day one day, um, a monster movie. And Alana Mayo, who was at the time running Michael B. Jordan's company, Outlier, went over to Orion uh, or MGM, one of them, and was working there. And they had the rights to Blackula or somehow within that family, they're connected. And she helped me get the rights to Blackula. Literally. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, um, and they do an MGM licenses, a bunch of their stuff out. Cause I did army of darkness and, uh, James Bond and their other books that they license yeah. out. And Blackula was just one of them that was sitting there. And, uh, had never been done, uh, at least to my knowledge, had never been done. And so I went there and uh, Carol Mora and some other great folks over there really helped me, you know, kind of get everything uh, wrangled together. And then once I had the rights, now it's about creatively who's going to, you know, go on this journey with me. So we went through, all right, who best to do this with? And, you know, Jason and I do Philadelphia, obviously, mm -hmm. but, and I didn't know if you do Blackula with Jason, does it feel too much like Philadelphia? But I think because the story is so different than Philadelphia and it's more traditional to the idea of how old school horror films, in my opinion, old school horror films feel um, in the classic sense or how I see them, I felt like, um, it would fit. And then Jason's such a great artist that to me, yeah. I wanted the, the purity of Jason because other people sometimes would ink his work. And I just wanted the purity. He colors this, he inks this, he pencils this, he does everything. It's beautiful. It's, nice. it's beautiful. And I just love his work so much. And I don't like him. I think I've established that. <laughs> <laughs> I've said this in every interview we did a signing the other day. Every time we had to sign, I wanted to do it like I don't know if you remember when Mike Tyson and Lennox Lewis uh, fought each other and they had to put security guards between the two of them. Whenever we do a signing together, I always want like the shop owner to stand between yeah. them. <laughs> because Jason can be problematic at times. <laughs> but I love his art, you know, so much. And, uh, you know, and we know each other so well. And I, you know, I have to talk to him every day. And, you know, so it just was a natural place that, you know, I would want to go on this journey. And he's art director for the company. So why not do it with Jason? And while you can definitely see the lines, I definitely feel like uh, it has a distinct style. It's It doesn't look just like another, like a Philadelphia comic. It has yeah. its own distinct style. 
I agree. Yes. I also think like with there's so many things today. I mean, always with comics, but just like with the nature of like the MCU and and like always trying wanting like like you have your own Philadelphia universe. You have the spinoff stories and the things that go there. Not everything has to connect. Like it's beautiful that this has nothing to do with it because you're like you're saying, yeah, Philadelphia is a completely different story. You get even watching the Black Eela movie. There's like maybe there's a way they could connect, but it doesn't need to. No. And and I, I I just like that this is like its own like is so this is just like a standalone graphic novel it's not like meant to be like a continuing series it is well there will be more stories i want to do three volumes of it and then see what happens um again you know one of my children will not go to college because of this i haven't decided which one (laughs) (laughs) or i won't get married i won't get married which will probably be easier to cremate me or <laughs> one of the bad ones will end up in prison because of this. <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, uh, I have a couple of uh, retro 70s uh, characters that I love to bring into the world with Blackula that are horror themed um, that I'm talking to companies about mm. to do volume two and volume three with um and I just think it would be a lot of fun. And that's the the key word for this is fun. And selfishly for me, things that I fantasized about that, you know, wouldn't it be cool if, and if you're going to have a company and you're going to have a labor of love, why not do what you want to do and um, see if it works? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. From when we talked to you last time, I think I could guess who he's going to meet up with. But I don't know if saying that is 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 like spoiling anything. Last time we were talking about a specific like seventies horror character, Kolchak. Oh yeah, Kolchak. You know, yes, I would love for Kolchak. I'm not gonna. It's early in the morning. I've talked to Cody already, and I'm adjusting to Cody. <laughs> I would love for Kolchak to be in uh in the Blackula universe for a spell. You know, Kolchak's a weird one because. The, those of us who remember Kolshak remember Kolshak, and then there are other people who go, who? <laughs> and it's weird. It's this weird legion of uh, those who do and those who don't. But um, I love the Darren McGavin version of Kolshak, the Night Stalker, and um, love Richard Matheson's telling of um, those two movies of the, of the week and some of the... Um, TV episodes and love the idea of the whole thing. And I actually yeah. contributed to Moonstone's um, 50th anniversary. I wrote one of the stories in uh, their anthology series. And uh, that's out now. It's beautiful. Uh, where is because I always keep comic books near me because criminals could come in. And I got to hit them with one. Uh, this is a book now. <laughs> it's a beautiful book. Oh, nice. I need to get that. See, if you just take these two things. You put these two things together, they just kind of fit well. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, so it would it would be, you know, a blast to be able to put those two things together and um, have fun with them. What was the name of your uh, your imprint company? Your Zombie company? Love Studios. Zombie Love Studios. Yeah, I mean, for me, being able to do little animated things, um, books. Uh, you know, any turning IP into other things and um, just to be able to have my own little hubbub in corner of the neighborhood to be able to just wake up in the morning or I have dreams at night. (laughs) (laughs) Just me and you right now talking, Cody. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sometimes in my dream, I wake up in the morning and it's weird. There's this weird thing where I judge my dreams. I don't know if I'm fully awake, but like 5.30, I start, like I'll have a dream from midnight to four in the morning. And I'm like, this is a great idea. This is like the greatest idea that's ever. No one's had a better idea than this. No one. Maybe God had a better idea than this. (laughs) And then I start judging the idea as I get closer to waking up. And then I wake up and I said, was that a good idea? Or was I just like, come on, was that really a good idea? Or was I just like dreaming? (laughs) And as the day goes on, I think about it and I think about it and I think about it. And if it sticks, then I start messing around with the idea. Having a place to be able to just make those things a reality is sort of kind of cool to me. You know, not having to call somebody and make an email and, hey, could you, you know, this person, could you get them to think, listen to my idea and see, (laughs) you know, I'm getting too old for that. You know, I do, like I said, I do that every day. There's every day I have to go to somebody and have a big stack of papers and pitch and seem convincing. So, yeah. So. Does this with this uh, with you having this uh, the rights to this imprint? Is this related? I know there's been talks of a Blackula remake. Is your no, comic? Uh, no, that's my friend Dion Taylor. He's doing. Uh, he wants to do a movie version, and um, oh. you know we've talked about some things, and you know his vision is different than mine. Um, he has this thing that he wants to do, but I don't see a reason why they can't like. In the universes, the same way you have multiple Batmans and multiple things, you know. Um, but, you know, the thing with me, <clears throat> damn, my voice is Cody again. It just went really <laughs> <laughs> I think in the world of where um, I'm at HBO, kind of like in the world of boxing where top right fighters don't fight PBC fighters. It's like I'm at HBO and I have my overall deal here and we're at MGM. Uh, and MGM's at Amazon, it makes it hard to cross streams with characters and things. And so um, it's difficult, but not impossible. Nothing's impossible. Nice. Nice. That's very cool. I noticed in, in the Blackula comic, I wonder if you wrote it or was it something that Jason Sean Alexander did that <clears throat> when Blackula is being accosted by the three uh, gang kids after mm-hmm. he wakes up, they're wearing red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. Was that a deliberate choice on your part? Or was that something that Jason... You mean the colors? Yeah. The colors are all Jason. I mean, anything that had to do with any how anything looks, that's Jason. Okay. Anything they say, that's me. How something looks, that's him. Unless I said, you know, put that there. That's Jason. (laughs) (laughs) So can I I actually ask a question off that? So um, I'm actually... Uh, with our friend Joey, there's this anthology called Unknown Heroes Anthology, and they asked they asked me to do a ten page. I've never written a comic, but I'm gonna write a ten page comic for this anthology with this this artist friend of ours. But I've never written a comic, so so going off of that, um, there's obviously a relationship between you and and Jason, like in real life, like you yes. guys have a rapport. Yeah. But on the page, how does that translate? Like how like, I guess I'm asking maybe like, what's some advice? Like, is it just, does it just come down to the artist or is it, do you have a certain way of, of deliberately writing your scripts for comics? Um, when I first started writing comics, the first comic I wrote was Falcon for Marvel. And I struggled the first three issues because 
I remember my editor coming back to me and saying that my scripts were ponderous because it was so many words. Mm. And understanding what the word ponderous means is not a very attractive word like ponderous. Um, because I was writing them for live action actors. I was writing for actors. I wasn't writing for like, like art. And there's a relationship between art and words and graphic storytelling. And I hadn't made that jump. Like I didn't know how to do that. It's the simplest way that I can put it. And there's a relationship between the two. And I think certainly in today's world and probably for, you know, I grew up on Alan Moore who uses a lot of words and Neil Gaiman who uses a lot of words. And that's a a different type of, that's sort of its own subset of storytelling for a different time and still great. And I still embrace it. But today I think it's more of how quickly, like when I write for Marvel today and I do my little stories here and there, I did a a cloak and dagger one, not too, too long ago. And I do Mandalorian now as well. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how fast, how fast can you basically set up art Mm. and move through the story? So if you can support the art and keep the art moving and allow the panels to sort of tell the story themselves, allow the art to tell the story, the visual aspect of it, and not try to repeat what you see, I think to me, that's the closer place to supporting the story. That makes sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. You know, yes. um, I see a lot of times where people will tell me exactly what it is that I'm seeing. Yeah, I don't like that. And with Jason, the thing is, I know Jason's art so well, and I'm a fan of it. So if you go with Jason's house, he has like a gallery of some of the saddest black people ever. Like, I don't know. <laughs> if it another life, he, I, I don't even want to intimate what that life could have been. But it's like you see these beautiful paintings of incredibly sad black people. And this is pre-Killadelphia. And I was like, all right, I know the type of vampire story I want to tell. If I can put fangs on these people, this would be perfect. (laughs) It was more or less being a fan of it, but also being able to see not just the sadness that was in the art, but the emotion that was there. Mm. And when I'm writing, I'm thinking about his ability to interpret emotion and his ability to even the humor, though. Like there are times in Philadelphia when Sang's just getting a joke off or someone's landing a punchline. Like his ability to direct that is really, really good. And I think between the two of us, we we give each other shit so much. Like literally we were doing a signing. <laughs> But the other people weren't there. We spent more time, like, literally, like, bagging on each other. <laughs> like, people were not like, are they going to fight, like, at any moment? <laughs> you know, I, I pull his mask down and I'm hoping he gets COVID. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> and just constantly, all day long, like, we were there for two hours. And it was just two hours of just, I'm signing here, but... You know, you're ugly, uh, you're fat. And, you know, it's just like all day long. <laughs> and, but we know each other really, really well. And so that rapport, both personally and professionally, builds it to a place where it makes it easy for us to have creative conversations and personal conversations. But I think that translates through the work as well when it comes to um, interpretation. So all of that to say, 
the more you can get to know the art style of the person that you're working with and you see patterns of things and within your writing, if you can pick up on those patterns and things that you think you do well, then I think the better you'll be able to interpret the story that you're trying to interpret. Thank you for that. Yeah, you guys make a really good uh, comic book duo between... That'll be the special Dateline episode when we kill each other. They were so <laughs> They worked so well together. And then they killed. <laughs> you know, you guys make a great uh, writer-artist duo, um, especially because, like, yeah. not even trying to blow smoke up your ass, but ever since we found Philadelphia, <laughs> it's been one of my, like, favorite independent runs. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like, I'm legit a fan, whether you were going to come back on or not. Like it, it, well, it's, it's so cool to read. I will say this, something no one is expecting in issue 30 on the last page, something really huge is going to happen and no one's expecting. And people say that all the time. People say like something big is going to happen and blah, blah, blah. And someone's coming. And it's not from the Philadelphia universe. Ooh, interesting. So I, I that Cody, let, let me say this. Let me say this. <laughs> when Cody reads this, <laughs> when Cody turns the last page, don't have your speakers on. <laughs> be near him. <laughs> let him be in a room by himself and then digest it and talk to Cody afterwards and see it lives up to what Rodney set up and see Rodney was just a guy who was just saying something to just say it because it was Saturday morning he was promoting a book <laughs> wait so when does issue 30 come out is that soon uh, no this is 20 I think we're at 28 uh, we're almost at the end of the arc so we're a couple issues away, but it's the end of the arc. It's at the end of arc five, I think. Yes, because arc four, we're up. We're in a preliminary ballot for a Bram Stoker Award, which was. Nice. I was like, wow, okay, Very I'll cool. take it. Yeah, congratulations! That's, that's huge. Nice. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, I'll take it. So, does Philadelphia will it have a finite ending at some point? Yeah, okay. at some point, sooner rather than later, probably. But um, I don't know. Um, at some point. I think we got a couple more arcs left in us, but um, it's all up to, I think this story arc, and we said it every time we just texted the other day. We think this one is the most emotional, but we said that every time. So it starts to sound like bullshit after a while. So <laughs> when it stops being that, then it's time to end it because nice. it's that kind of book. It's not a plot-driven book. It's not one of those, and then this vampire, there's that vampire, then he bit him again. It's like, it's not that. It's yeah. about the world, and there you go. Yeah, volume three was so emotional. I was going to say, volume three, almost like the, the moments where James Sangster Sr. is just like crying the tears of blood. It's just, yeah. ooh, those are hitting me, man. <laughs> That's the goal. That's all we <laughs> The two guys that hate each other, we conjure love. I don't know what it is. Maybe <laughs> something we're repressing. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I see. Uh, I just finished volume four of Philadelphia, uh, in which huh. you introduced, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to mispronounce his name. I know he's a real historical figure. Toussaint of... I'm not going to let you out. I want to hear you try it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let you try it. All right. Toussaint Levoe. 
I cook a little, yeah, close enough. A little mature. I would put the tea on it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, um, I wanted to, uh, <laughs> I wanted to balance the dead presidents with someone else from history. There's always a danger in going back and digging up, uh, no pun intended, historical figures and making them vampires and monsters and all of this kind of stuff. Because then it starts to feel like you're doing it just to do it. They have to serve a purpose. They have to have a point. And Toussaint, his, uh, what he did to kind of free Haiti during that period with Napoleon was significant because very rarely does history recognize those types of revolutions. You know, I'm sure a myriad of things happened over the course of human history that weren't recorded. And this one was, and Toussaint was a significant figure. And so, and he's not a vampire and he does have a tremendous amount of power and he's the one that's killing everybody right now and killing some of our favorite, uh, some of the people we've really come to connect with over the past 20 plus issues. So wanted to have someone who was an outlier who came in, who will come to get to know in future uh, arcs, possibly. And so just someone who I'm always looking for, when I sit down and write an issue, it's like, how can I make it different than the last one? How can I surprise you? I never want you to be able to figure anything out. I always wanted to make it feel like, you know, I didn't see that coming. That's definitely how it feels. Always reading Philadelphia. I'm like, what the fuck? This is happening next? You know. Like, where'd that come from? You know, and <laughs> those were always my favorite. Uh, and then when you ask me a question about how long is it going to go, when I lose the ability to do that, you know, and it's one of the reasons why I don't plot it out. Like, when I'm doing, when we're working on winning time and we plot it out, like in detail, that's necessary because there's so many other logistics. You know, you have to get locations and yeah, blah, blah, blah. So many other things that come with making a TV show. But here, again, in the freedom and the beauty of being able to make comic books, I have an idea and I know where I want to start. I know where I want to finish, but it's an exercise in writing. It's an exercise of being able to sit down and really what's under it is the theme of how I feel at a time. Am I angry? Am I in a good mood? Like I did uh, one of the issues not long ago was more comedy than I think I've had in a minute with a Nazi and the gods. He, he was trying to get the gods together and they were going to go against the dark forces. And he went to, um, he went to talk to Odin and they didn't want to get involved and fight in the dark realm. And it, it was like, I, I just wanted to have fun for a minute because sometimes it gets so dark and you're always talking about how bad the world is. And I wanted to go away from that for a minute just because that's how I felt in that day. You can turn on TV and feel really bad about the world sometimes. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that for another month. I wanted to feel better and give some hope. And that's sort of what the book is. It's sort of, for me, a cathartic experience and trying to figure out how I look at the world. And, you know, Jason and I talk about these things sometimes and how we see the world and how to best express it in this you know, piece of creative work. And when that goes away and when we lose that, or we've said most of what you never get it all out. But when you don't have that to say anymore, probably time to at least pause it for a minute. Nice. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things about Philadelphia is that like, while it is absolutely a horror comic, it's always had elements of comedy elements like uh, these uh, huge emotional moments. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's a great comic, man. We're, I'm Thank glad you. we read it. 
Thank you very much. Issue 30 is my favorite thing I think I've ever written, ever, ever, ever in my whole career. Mostly because when you look at in today's world, being an older comics reader and runs like Swamp Thing or which is still one of my favorite runs in comics ever. And um, even the X-Men, the Claremont Burn run or those things, they went on for like four years. You know, today you'll get a write, a team on for 10 issues and that's a long time. Hmm. You know, um, and we've gone for two years now and there are people who say, wow, you guys been going and we've got a hardback book and we've got, you know, collections and volumes now. And, you know, you sort of you see that, but you never want that to be kind of um, the thing that you're going after. You want the the quality, the greatest compliment I see sometimes when I muster the courage to go to Twitter is, is, you know, this book keeps getting better. This book keeps getting better. This book keeps getting better. And when I hear that, what I hear is we keep getting better. You know, we keep putting more heart into it, that we haven't lost that passion. You're never going to be 100% all the time, and there's always going to be an issue there. Nah, that one wasn't, uh, you know, whatever. But you're always trying. You're always swinging for the fences. You're always trying to give people their best. Now, I mean, even with Blackula being the first book coming out of the company, you wanted it to feel special. You wanted it to, even with the book design, you didn't want it to feel like a regular, not to say a floppy can't be special, but you didn't want it to feel like just a floppy, like just another book. You wanted it to feel, the pages to feel heavier stock, mm. the cover to feel heavier. I wrote an intro, Stephen, the great Stephen Bissett wrote a, you know, uh, uh, some back matter for us uh, in the hard, the collected uh, edition uh, hardcover. We have a uh, a gallery of beautiful Blackula art from some of the best artists out there. Uh, Jason's friends. I don't know any of these people. They don't like. And, you know, it's just being able to to just really make fine art within the graphic space is something I've always wanted to do. It's never been. And, you know, my my accountants and business managers are like when they think comic books, they're like Spider-Man and they sell millions and they, they, people get rich. And I'm like, is this 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 isn't that venture. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, hopefully one day this will be the adventure that's in my obituary. This isn't the venture that's going to put me on top of a hill. This is the venture that you do for love and that you, um, you know, you do because you're, you're trying to find people who connect emotionally to the work. You know, you're, you're looking for the um, the fan that loves the thing that you love and to create a vibe. I mean, and I'll say this about the comics community, even why I dig talking to guys like yourselves and why I do these things. It's like probably maybe not with Cody, but <laughs> we would have all been like friends in the neighborhood reading comics and trading comics as kids. Like we all would have been. <laughs> talking shit about whether the Hulk could beat Thor and whether this one could be that one and someone would have traded comics and gotten over on somebody and gotten more for Avengers 100 than they should have. And it's like, that was the thing that I remember. There was this feeling. And being an only child, I was a lonely kid. But when I had comics and I had that little comics community, it was only like three or four of us, it made it 
fun. It made life fun. And comics make life fun. And so being able to create things that recreate that fun in a world that sometimes can be difficult makes it worth it. Absolutely. And that's the point. And being able to come on and talk to you guys and being able to talk to other folks like that, it sort of creates a little corner of goodness in a world that sometimes is really complicated. We're just better people than everyone, Rodney. I think we can all. Uh, well, I wasn't even... <laughs> you can say that. You can say that. Just me and Cody. Actually, just me and Cody. <laughs> but it's funny because, and Jake, I think you, we actually have this as one of the questions. Like last time we were on, we it was like episode nine. We had not. We were. We were. You know. We were baby podcasters. We hadn't even figured out what to call our fans. But just going off of that, like, I think we've seriously started to like foster our own little community. Mm -hmm. And at the time, we didn't have a name, and you suggested the Codeines. Yes, Cody. But yes. Yeah. yeah, but no, yes. but, we're, we're, but we couldn't name our fan base after just Cody, you know? Like, <laughs> I would. I would. <laughs> I would have had like fans that are kind of nodding on t shirts and just call them Codeines. But <laughs> I don't want to. You could be pragmatic right now, but no. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, did you ever figure out what you were going to call Philadelphia fans? No, everything sounds like a little whack. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was kilodites and <laughs> things that Jason says, you know, because Jason's not cool. And, <laughs> and I never want to hurt his feelings. But um, no, we haven't found a thing. We, we call them friends. That's what nice. they're best. I got to give Jason credit because. I've never imagined George Washington as being this hot Anderson Cooper silver fox man. <laughs> <laughs> we tried it because he would ask me sometimes, and it's funny. He'll say he did it with uh, Jefferson. With Adams, it was pretty straightforward because Adams was the first guy. And then uh, he's like, all right, uh, so Jefferson, what you thinking? And I said, 70s, you know, rock star. That's where he was in this thing. And um, and that's why Jefferson sort of had a long, lean look. And he said, all right, George Washington, what are you thinking? And I was like, you know, Gordon Gecko, Cool. Wrong, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> square shoulders, leader type, you know, tough guy. You know? <laughs> you know, he's like, okay. I said, still white hair. You could slap a wig on him, but, you know, give him some distinction. All of them have to be different. All of them have to be, have their own sort of unique thing. And uh, I think Jason's done a great job at sort of, you know, making all of them distinctive. Yeah, like John Adams lost the weight. He's got a nice suit, the red beard. He's bald, yeah. you know. <laughs> Cast me as him when you do the show, you know. <laughs> corny next to the other two. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Jefferson is still the dude that would take your girl, and <laughs> still the guy that's like, "This is what you give me," you know. This is the best. Both of you, be quiet. He's still that. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you know, yeah, it was cool seeing handsome uh, George Washington. Yeah. yeah. I, had a, I had a question after watching Blackula last night and reading Philadelphia uh, in regards to the werewolf tribe. Did you bar? Did you like? Were you inspired by some of like the lore from Blackula in when creating uh, the werewolves in Philadelphia? Um, not so much Blackula. I think a little Howling. Nice, because Howling is my favorite werewolf movie. Nice. I don't completely understand it, but I love <laughs> it. It's one of those things. Um, and as far as the politics. I'll say the politics of black exploitation, even though they're never outwardly stated under black exploitation, is there's this subversive, rebellious thing that exists. And I think in all of it that you can feel in the fashion and the afros and the music, uh, you know that you're in a time where I won't say because it's this late civil rights, early pan African movement, like you're in this time of revolution, social revolution. So you can feel that. And I think the werewolves are sort of eternally in that sense of um, of that. So the vibe of that, yeah, but I'm sort of in that. You know, I, I grew up in a period where my mother had all of that stuff laying around those books and that music. And that's what I listened to as a kid. So a lot of my my thinking still is rooted in a time that of that time, even though it's long since passed and very, very, very antiquated. I write to that sometimes because I'm mired in sentiment. So does that mean we can expect of the black exploitation of the movies to like f- flow through your comic run? Uh, a funky werewolf. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, funky werewolf. Back up, sucker. Uh, <laughs> Blackula. Um, uh, you know, it's weird because one of the goals I wanted in Blackula was to build a bridge between the 70s and today. Um, I think a lot of the politics of the 70s and some of the social stuff, it's weird how. In some ways, we've moved, we've advanced with technology. And some ways we've advanced socially. And then in other ways, we haven't advanced very much socially at all. It's weird. There's this weird intersection. I don't know where the two meet and where they divide. But one of the, another reason why I wanted to do Blackula and why I think some of these characters resonate even still is we haven't resolved all of the stuff. And we haven't really dealt with all of the stuff. You know, we're still fighting about abortion and women's rights. We're still talking about race and culture. We're still uh, talking about unemployment and homelessness. We're still, you know, not so much war at the moment, but we, we have degrees of a divided nation and more polarized probably now than even in when Vietnam was going on. And we have more outlets communication wise to be able to vent our frustration and our anger at one another. Uh, Being able to sort of put that in the backdrop, if you look at Blackula, you look at characters like Kolshak, the Night Stalker, you look at Shaft, you look at some of those characters from that period, they all sort of had some of that sort of bubbling around them as they told their stories. That still exists now, and because I'm connected to that, 
practically because I care about the world and creatively because I like when the art sort of reflects the world that you're in. And sometimes we don't do that. Like some, if you see a Marvel movie, sometimes it's, and maybe they do that and it's brilliant as a marketing thing. You don't know what, like 20 years from now, you could watch a Marvel movie and you don't know what time period other than technology it's set in. But you could watch some of those movies from the 70s and they could be talking about the future or they could be talking about other things. And you know exactly what they're talking about by the subject matter that they're, like they could say the war in Vietnam or they could talk specifically about what they're talking about. And I'm not saying speaking specifically to it, but I like addressing the nature of the problem at hand. So. All of that long-winded answer to say, yes, you could find a werewolf that is connected to or has been connected to something that at one time Blackula was connected to. There could be some historical context to a werewolf in a Blackula world. Mm, nice. Mm, very cool. Are you, are you a history buff? I dig history. Yeah, I dig history because I believe that. And here's another thing. You know, we don't really teach history in a way that is um ah, i don't want people cussing me out today <laughs> <laughs> teach history i think in a way that is comprehensive see people have to look up some people comprehensive <laughs> that is um to where you get the entire story and i always like i learned a lot about history from movies hmm. Sometimes I would watch like Little Big Man, movie no one on here has seen. Um, <laughs> but movies that sort of, when they started taking making Westerns about the Civil War, it made me want to learn about the Civil War. Like when um, the outlaw Josie Wales, Clint Eastwood, uh, and that period. And I started to say, hey, wait a minute. How, what did that have to do with that? Because usually it was about cowboys and Indians. And then I started to say, oh, this was a particular period. And then, you know, movies like Buck and the Preacher and different ones where you would start to integrate different ideas of what history was to different creatives. Then it became interesting to me and it made me want to go back and look at actual history based upon the thing that made me interested in the thing that I saw in a theater. And so if I can do that with the Philadelphia, where I can introduce aspects of truth, you know, and that's usually the math of what I do. I'll take um, true, true, true. Okay. I'm getting a little murky now. And then, bam. <laughs> and then, all right, I'm making up some other stuff to go with uh, opinion and some other things, but there are parts of it in there that I'm taking from history. Um, an actual battle or an actual incident like Abigail did. Abigail Adams did lose a child. And, um, you know, there was, a, a, you know, Jupiter did exist and was Thomas Jefferson's um, slave slash friend. You know, there were actual events and actual people who did exist in history and do that. So, yes, I'm a history buff. No, that's cool, because I'll be honest, I didn't I didn't I never heard of uh Toussaint Levator until I read your book and then I Googled him and I was like, oh shit, no one ever taught me about yeah. and then the, the Haiti French Revolution. I learned about Jupiter when I was in, I was nine years old and I happened to be in a public library and it was a book called The Black Book. It still exists today. And I remember reading, I picked it up. It was two pictures that I saw. I saw a black man tied to a wagon wheel burned to death and a bunch of people around him 
posing. And I was reading, I remember that picture just grabbed me because it was just very visceral. And I kept reading, I kept reading. And there was a thing about Thomas Jefferson. I don't know the context to it, but it was about his friend slave, Jupiter, who saved his money and helped him get into college, but he was a slave. And Jefferson like sold his family afterwards and did something to him. And I was like, wow, why would he, like he helped him out. He was his friend. And that just kind of stuck with me as a kid because I'm looking at it through the lens of a child. I'm not looking at it with historical context and all of how the math of all of it worked. And I'm sure it was way more complicated than that. But again, you know, these little things um, about history and just framing things in a particular way. I don't think we look at history like that. And I think it has a lot to do with the discourse that we have in this country, in the Western world in general, is because we don't see the value of culture. And Hmm. I think being able, the beauty of storytelling and the beauty of being able to um, weave all of that stuff into genre which is what George Romero did with uh, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead and, um, you know, the early universal films that were really about war and the fear of immigration and, you know, different things. If you can bring those things in in a responsible, reasonable way, I think there's another form of education that exists. And I grew up in a period of time where comedians were talking about politics all the time. Music was talking about politics. Um, You had poets who were on the late show. You know, it's like this was a part of the world. It wasn't just about entertainment per se, but there was a degree of, I won't say academia, but you had education, for lack of a better word, sort of ingrained in the way we moved as a country, as a society. And now that seems to sort of have dispersed into just entertainment. And so thus Philadelphia, thus the ability to be able to stick things back in every once in a while to fun. Nice. I feel like you just learn. I, it's a great way to teach someone something, you know, it's not like you're reading a textbook. You could inject that. And I feel like it sticks in your mind a bit more when you have the entertainment, you know, obviously, yeah. Like what you're saying, like today, like it, it's hard to find, you know, that true subtext in a lot of this stuff, but it's definitely appreciated to see it in your writing. When you say teacher will learn it almost, I almost feel guilty saying it because the idea of it is supposed to be entertainment. I'm supposed to be talking to you right now about Black Hill and Philadelphia. It's fun. They're vampire books. They're supposed to be about vampires. And for someone who hasn't read it or they just look at the log line and they hear about presidents and vampires, they go, well, what are you talking about? They would just look <laughs> <laughs> as you know black people and vampires and the history i don't want to I, I just got off from work i just want to have fun. i want vampires to bite somebody and i get it and i never want it to feel heavy-handed and it to feel like you're getting a lesson i never wanted i always try to tell the story through the emotions that the characters are feeling and the relationships that the characters have with one another never through the intentions i'm talking to you guys about intentions Mm-hmm. the characters never talk about their their intentions. They just do what they do and we're on for the ride. So, yeah, but I think uh, you brought up George A. Romero and uh, I think like some of the best, especially in horror, is when it has this sub- subtext or when it is a bit of a commentary on 
uh, society, you know? Yes, uh, big time. I mean, all of the Wes Craven, um, all of those guys, Cronenberg, I mean, everybody who made that stuff uh, back in the day that were talking about the 70s and the 80s and the fear of, um, you know, white flight to the suburbs or whatever it was that they were talking about, even if you disagree with them, and that's another subject too, even if you disagree or if I disagree with what they had to say, I was still intrigued by their ability to say it and respected their ability to say it in the way that they said it creatively. And it still provoked thought. And it was almost like having a debate class. Like we could sit there and we could do a thing and that was intriguing. It wasn't so much like polarizing that another person thought differently or I didn't immediately want to think banned or push it off to the side because you saw something differently than me. And it was just like a work of art. And I think once you bring in the pure commercial aspect of it, then you start to judge it in a completely under a different lens Mm. where I have to judge it now as good or bad. It sucks. It's bad. It's this, it's that it's thumbs up, thumbs down. (laughs) And you have to dismiss it as one thing or another. Mm. And that I think is, is disheartening because Sometimes, like even with comics, I don't want to be a hypocrite because before I started actually making them, I was that kind of person too. I would say, oh man, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't whatever. But then once you go through the process and I think it's evolved over time and you realize how difficult it is, you start to be a little bit more empathetic to the process A and then also everybody has what they like and what they don't like. And it doesn't make you any less or the work any less because someone likes a thing or someone doesn't get into the thing. And, you know, I just wish it was a more, it was a different kind of community sometimes to where it wasn't so polarized with it. You can dig a thing without hating the thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it yeah. feels very black like and white. The extreme that comes with it. That's all. Yeah. Mm. Nice. I had a question. So because I, I maybe I just haven't heard about it or I don't think it was released yet. So I heard a while back that you and Snoop Dogg were working on a comic, a horror comic together. It may take a minute to come together. It was an anthology, another anthology series, Tales from the Crypt, CRP, CR. <laughs> and um, same kind of ideas, Tales from the Crypt, but anthology series, uh, sort of a um, modern day Twilight Zone-ish type stories, um, short stories. Um, you know, these things are so, so difficult to manufacture and that this quality, and it's really up to how much can I keep writing? You know, it's like writing, <laughs> writing, writing, writing. And, you know, if I look at, I'm writing a series right now for Image Monarch, Nita Hall's Nightmare blog, Philadelphia, um, Black Love Volume 2 now. I have three more books coming through, Zombie Love. I have Mandalorian that I do, Season 2. Nice. I have a couple of books through the Big 2 that I'm doing. Three movies, Winning Time, Season 3. I've got the Jack Johnson series, a miniseries at HBO. Um, you know, at a certain point, you break down if you just keep going, <laughs> going, 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 going. You have an insane output. Yeah. That's so impressive. You know, it's like, um, it is great and I'm grateful for it. But at a certain point, you get to a place where the work starts to not be as good because you're trying to just meet the deadline and you're not 
putting is the thing I said about Philadelphia. You know, when it gets to a place where you're just trying to um, get it done and you're not getting it done with the same type of stuff that makes it what it is, then it's a problem. Like, I'm proud of Black. I'm proud of Philadelphia. I'm proud that I can get on here and talk to you guys about it with a degree of pride. You know, I, I want to continue to feel that way about everything. And I can't do that if I'm just staying up all night just to get it done. So to answer the question, if I can knock out some stuff and just carve out enough time to just keep going and Snoop doesn't, uh, if Snoop remembers that this is something that we're doing, um, <laughs> then, then we're good. Then we're good. That, that's nice. awesome. Um, I had a question. Uh, I know volume one of Nita Hall's nightmare blog is uh, the fire next time. I take it. Yeah. Are you a fan of James Baldwin? I am a big fan of James Bowl. Nice. Um, again, another period, 70s. Um, and those voices, I mean, I, I, I am not. I won't even say I, I hesitate to think I am in the um, realm of a writer of that ability or insight. But to be able to sort of honor folks who inspired me, like when I was saying that um, – my mother used to have books just laying around, you know, even if I didn't read all of them just by osmosis, having them laying around just sort of did something to uh, make me feel like um, I was a part of something. And James Baldwin, you know, by the time a teacher would assign a book to me, oftentimes I'd either already read it or it was already part of my orbit was already there and I attribute that to my mother first, but also to, um, you know, I, I just appreciate that those folks made those kinds of books and James Baldwin at the top of that list and by next time being there. So it's kind of a tribute to him, but also artists like every once in a while, uh, kill Scott Heron, and pieces of a man, um, uh, episode five of winning time was named uh, after that song. And you'll have a winner in America. I know a few writers have called their books winner in America based upon that song and hmm. it's tributes. And you, you'll find it sometimes with writers and artists where the things that inspired them, they'll name books as a tribute after. That's cool. But yeah. Oh, I just realized this is so random. Sorry guys. <laughs> You, uh, so Cody and Jake did an episode <clears throat> on season two of The White Lotus, and you guys were talking about how which HBO character should be on the next season. But you were in an episode of Winning Time, or a, a few episodes, right, Rodney? It was in a few episodes. I was security guard, right? Excuse me. I am not a security guy. I'm the head of Laker security. Okay. And Ooh, nice. I am a professional security engineer. I would prefer to call myself. <laughs> <laughs> There's a backstory that has yet to be told about my character, that he was a Navy SEAL, perhaps a ranger, um, maybe even a spy. Um, oh. He settled into a life of, um, of mystery and... Uh, but yes, I've been on, uh, I pop up from time to time, like a zoo in the Flintstones, another data. People go, that's Rodney. And I put on a wig and I put on some things and I put on makeup that takes days to get off and little, uh, little beads of glue, uh, that I have to pick off of my face for days, but 
it's fun. It's fun afterwards. That those fourteen hours that I have to sit there all day are never fun. But <laughs> so talking about winning time, uh, I'm from West Virginia, and we have like a handful of listeners who are also very what. Yeah. Is, the, yeah. is is that a very accurate portrayal of Jerry West? I like the way you, you're the first person, Cody, to phrase it that way. Is that a very accurate, like you jump past how Jerry feels to the exact question. I respect it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to answer it the best way that I can. I believe based upon our research and the things that we have found that Walking the path of creative license and the research that we have done, that we have hit a degree of accuracy. Is it 100%? No. You know, taking creative license into consideration. There are some things like I believe he said that uh, he never broke a golf club. And in his book, it says he broke several golf clubs, things like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all of that said, the only bummer about all of it is the guys who have complained and said, I never did that or I would never do that or that type of thing. And these aren't things that like we have references that we find in books and articles and things. It's not like just pulling it out of the sky is that we're really fans of these guys. Like we really respect these guys. And uh, but I also understand if somebody was telling this, like if Cody one day decides he's going to tell the story of Rodney, like one day he's going to tell. <laughs> I want to see this already. <laughs> yeah. And Rodney Barnes isn't a part of the process. Like I go, like I'm, I'm there, I'm in hospice, and you know I got a couple days left, and somebody hands me an iPad and they say. You know, Cody's doing your story and I can only muster the words of, oh, shit, Cody's doing my story. <laughs> and I can't do anything about it. I'd probably be pissed, too. Um, I hope he's writing it with those headphones on with the ears. <laughs> but I understand if they feel a way because they don't have. Like there is a thing of this is my story. I did those things. And I understand the wanting to be a part of the experience that you lived through. So I get it. I get why you would feel that way. Yeah. So that's the closest I can give you to an answer. Nice. Nice. So just to confirm, you are giving Cody the rights to do your story. Yes? <laughs> <laughs> Cannot even say words to start with the letter R. <laughs> Forward. I hear about Cody saying Randy, <laughs> Randy Barnes story. He can Randy do that. Yeah, yeah. He dates and events and yeah. <laughs> he a Roddy Piper story. He can do that. <laughs> Are you a wrestling fan by any chance? I um, thought we talked about this one time. Um, for six months, I was a professional wrestler. No, we didn't talk about this. I only know because I listened oh, to you. Yeah, no, we didn't talk. We didn't talk about this. Okay. It might not have been six months. Um, there was a place in Georgia called the Power Plant. Yes. Oh, for WCW. WCW. Oh, man. <laughs> I trained with a guy. It started in Barstow. I'm pointing north because I'm in California. I believe that's north. It could be east. <clears throat> I forgot the guy's name. I trained with a guy in Barstow for a little while and that didn't work out. And then I went down to the power plant and they beat me up. 
Oh God, they'd be. I hope no one ever recorded those sessions. Um, Hard Body Harrison, uh, I believe, the Sarge, and uh, it was like four guys: uh, Pistol Pez Watley, and um, there's another one, uh, the Colonel, and they were the trainers. Basically, all they did for like a couple of days was make guys cry. And I was one of those guys. <laughs> and it was the most painful thing that I've ever endured. I went through a period just in life where I'm a big guy, I'm like six, seven, six, eight. And um, damn. And uh, 350 on a good day. Uh, <laughs> if I haven't had breakfast yet. And I always thought that because of that size, and I was never a great athlete at anything, I've never been exceptional at anything. <laughs> I thought I could trick someone into believing that I was, even though there had been nothing in life to prove that that would be substantiated. But I have a generous imagination. So I thought that someday this imagination would kick in. And uh, so this led me after basketball and football didn't work out down to these various places because I've always loved wrestling. I've loved from Mid-South all the way through WWF slash E. Uh, we could talk about wrestling for hours. Oh, nice. Got to get you on for a wrestling episode. We could talk wrestling for like years. And, uh, <laughs> it was going to be like, this was this was going to be my thing. And I could talk, you know, so I figured at the very least, this was going to be the thing. So I go down there and they just beat me unmercifully. They, they just beat me. They beat me like a dog. And uh, I couldn't walk to back to the plane to get back home. Damn. And um, on the plane was where I decided, all right, I'm going to stay in the movie TV business and I'm going <laughs> to make my brain work because my body is actually useless. You know, <laughs> I, I curse God because why did you give me this thing? You could have made me a normal size person. <laughs> so I could, have, I could have just done that. And um, yeah, that was basically it. Wait, what would your what would your wrestling name have been? I didn't have a name. Oh. I didn't earn a name. I'm glad I didn't have a name. It would have oh, been okay. Bum. Bum would have been my name. But I do have <laughs> wrestling like I love Ric Flair. Um, when I was working on the movie Eddie in North Carolina, I wanted to meet Ric Flair because he um, I knew he lived in Charlotte and he had a gym, a goals gym near where we were shooting at the Charlotte Coliseum. And um, I snuck away from work. And I went to the Gold's gym. And as soon as I walked through the door, the first person I saw was Ric Flair. Oh, my God. And I was in awe. And <laughs> he knew. He he was a guy, like, I've seen this look before. And uh, like, yeah, 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 how you doing? And he shook <laughs> And it's like, uh, gave me a picture and he signed it. And he shook my hand and, you know, showed me the way out of the door. <laughs> and um I was cool with Bam Bam Bigelow for a while. Uh, nice. He worked on a movie, Major Pain, with me. And, uh, oh, yeah. I love Major Pain. The Beast from the East. Back in the business again. And uh, he hooked me up with some people. That's actually how I started with Bam Bam. He was the one that was like, yeah, just do this and talk to this guy and talk to that guy. And, uh, and he kept warning me, you know, the shit's going to hurt. Shit's going. <laughs> yeah. How much could it possibly hurt? But it's like once you start taking those bumps and you landing on your back, and I'm like, all right, I'm not. You know, <laughs> I'm what the world would call soft. 
You know, I'm not, <laughs> I got one good fight left in the chamber. Like I could defend <laughs> barely, but I don't want to go to jail. You know, I don't, <laughs> I'm a victim. You know, at this point, even, <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, I've crossed the line into victimhood, and I accept that openly. You know. Uh, I would go down with I told Michael Strahan, you know, because I, I tease him a lot, that if we get in a fight for a minute and a half, it's going to be impressive. It's going to be. <laughs> like the paramedics, it's going to be like a scratch here and maybe a bruise here on him that people are going to say, man, that's really what happened. You know, I'm going to be in ICU. I'm going to be paralyzed <laughs> the neck down. But those two bruises are going to be impressive. <laughs> but yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Somewhere in this house is a picture of me and Bam Bam Bigelow on a set of uh, Major Pain. He was a great guy. Nice. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. That is cool. Bam Bam. I grew up on Major Pain. I remember that movie, Damon Wayne's. My first, well, that wasn't my first gig, but that was my first, that was my opportunity because Damon Wayans took an interest in me and um, nice. asked me what I wanted to do in the business. I told him I wanted to be a writer and he gave me an opportunity. Didn't make it easy. Gave me an opportunity though, uh, which I'm eternally grateful for and um, let me follow him around the country and work on his movies. And eventually I ended up out here and I worked on a movie, Bulletproof. I'm actually in that movie about to rape Adam Sandler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene when, I, when I'm about to rape Adam that I'm standing <laughs> behind Adam and Adam's like, you know, do some shit to me, man. Like, you know, like you get, this has to be believable. So I got my hand down Adam's shirt and I got my fingers in his ears and, but I don't have any lines because I got to pay you if you have lines. <clears throat> so uh, they inserted growling in the movie. So if you watch the movie, you will hear like a bear growling. That's not me. <laughs> I'm standing behind Adam and growling with my fingers in his ears and rubbing him and then Damon puts in and pulls Adam out and says I'm sorry to take your lunch big man and punches me in the stomach which is not in the script but he wanted to do it anyway <laughs> and there you go I'm watching that movie tonight <laughs> Um, I, just have one, I have another question, just one question. I noticed in volume two of Philadelphia, Drake, or a seemingly very Drake-like <laughs> yes. figure. That's Jason. Um, <laughs> okay. Does I say beef with Drake? That was no. He said, "What do he look like?" And I said, "Anytime I say certain words to Jason, <clears throat> because he has this thing where you know, um, all I can say is he should be on this show. I won't say why." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we would love to have we him on. We would love to have him on. Jason, come on. Yeah, he captures certain words. Like, you know, I said, you know, the guy is like kind of a drinkish kind of guy. And then you, you get that you get that likeness. That's nice. there. I was gonna say it's such a brutal scene too, but just seeing Drake kind of just makes it a little bit funny. Like we were laughing about it, just even though he's like getting his throat ripped. You know, no um you know, no no spoiler, but I thought about bringing him back because he was bitten <laughs> in the 
and having him uh, an actual character of uh, that rapper, like wandering through, that, that'd be <laughs> but, but still yeah. holding the microphone because he never died <laughs> <laughs> in Philly as a vampire with a mic. You know, with the same outfit on and just being like this rapper, this displaced rapper vampire. Uh, <laughs> nice. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming on, Ronnie. Seriously. Yeah, this has been a great time. Had so much fun. Oh, always, man. I need this like every six months. I need to hear Cody. Cody, just call. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, every once in a while, just life is hard. Just call. <laughs> just say, you know, keep going, man. Just say that. Hang up. You ain't got to say nothing. <laughs> he can send you daily reminders. Yeah. 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 Affirmations. Look, yeah, just read fortune cookie things and send it to Rodney. Um, you guys have taken money and just crumpled it up and thrown the, the coding. Okay. <laughs> that was one. Cody's Daily Reminders, an app. Daily Reminders. <laughs> out of nowhere, in any given day, your phone will just give you a reminder from Cody. <laughs> oh, Little yes. word of wisdom from Cody. <laughs> I, I would sign up. If you had that app right now, $99 a month. I would, <laughs> I would, I would gladly pay for that. Ooh, that's oh, awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for that uh, million dollar yeah, idea. Yeah, I want the next time we're talking. I want to see like landscapes in the background. I want to see like all of you hills with a palm tree and like that. <laughs> you know, none of this office stuff. I want to see you guys <laughs> <laughs> from Hawaii. Everybody's on an island. You look. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Give me anything. I just want to see everybody live in large. Oh, thank you, man. We appreciate that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do it. And thank you for coming on. Um, so is Blackula Return of the King? Is it out in stores right now? Yeah, it's in uh, your local comic shop now. Um, and it's available on Amazon, I believe, uh, the 31st, I believe. Oh, yeah. This week. Nice. Oh, this week. Nice. Oh. Okay. So, Noah, let's put out this episode this week then. That, yeah, if you guys, yeah, I'd love idea, that. Right. Yeah. Let's, let's do, do that. Yeah, just got a thing that is three days away. So, something. So, yeah, it's very soon. Let's go there. It's very soon. Nice. Will you be doing any, uh, for those listeners in LA, will you be doing any signings at comic shops in LA? did Earth 2 in Sherman Oaks. Oh, nice. I know that one on Ventura. I think we might do Golden Apple. I'm not sure. Um, they're working on that. I think um, Black Star Collectibles, um, Leaks Books. Uh, there are a few. I think we're doing one at the Grove on February the 11th. Nice. So yeah, they're all around. There's just a bunch of them around, and I'll sign anything. I'll sign foreheads, children. <laughs> <laughs> That's not anything. That's what someone asked the Earth too. Is like, is it just black or will he sign in? Yeah, sign. I won't sign checks. I won't sign. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. If I ever come to a signing, I'm bringing a DVD copy of Bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. <laughs> yes. was either that. Then the next time the Green Mile stories too, because that was Michael Clark Duncan standing on the. 
Oh no, you did oh, tell yeah. us about that the first time we talked it's to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. By the way, listeners, we have this is our second interview with Rodney. If you haven't heard the first one, please go check that out. It's great, Rodney. Thank you so much. This was Seriously, a great time. Thank you. You're welcome. Talk to you guys soon, man. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Please do. Likewise. Welcome back anytime. Thanks, guys. Bye, Thank Rodney. you. Thank you. Peace. Later. Hi, you're listening to Comics and Chronic, and I'm Jake F.H. I'm Cody Cannon. And I'm Anthony Iannaccio. And you can tune in every Thursday to hear new episodes of Comics and Chronic. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Comics and Chronic. That's Comics, the letter N, Chronic. We'll see you guys next week. Woo! Peace.